The most disappointing fact that I've read ever in the history of the universe, motivation comes after you yes. start. And I'm like, <laughs> no, that doesn't help. no, who did that? That's stupid. <laughs> Accurate, but it's very disappointing really, isn't it? Welcome to the Generosity Podcast with the Generosity Guy, Kyron Johnson, where we talk all things generosity, why it's good for you, what it's made up of, and why it can be so challenging to live out. Well, today on the Generosity Podcast, we've got speaker, consultant, and neurodiverse brain for hire, and you may have seen him in the media, heard his voice, or actually have him host your trivia event. It's Ben Sorensen, all the way from Melbourne. Ben, how are you going? Thanks for joining us. I just an absolute joy to be here, and uh, great introduction, by the way, as well. I mean, I really do quite enjoy the um, trivia nights that I do, uh, but, uh, you know, there's also a whole heap of other, other less brain-stimulating events that I host as well, but uh, that's definitely, definitely my favourite. Well, you can tell that from your Instagram as well. I've been doing a bit of stalking of that in recent times and just like it's one of those highlights that comes out. There's snippets from trivia nights and, and going, yeah, I'm hosting one. And so it's one of those things that obviously you yeah. really enjoy. Actually, do you know what? At the moment, there's uh, a lot of trivia, uh, little snippets from trivia nights, but also a lot of me drinking beer as well. Yeah. Well, I was going to get to that, but that's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's the byproduct of trivia night, right? Like as you can yeah, drink it's... and host. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> if you were to, um, and just kind of thinking, I, I don't know if you go to networking events or if you go to a place where you meet someone that you've never met and they introduce themselves and you go, hi, I'm Ben. And they go, oh, Ben, what do you do? The elevator pitch. Look, um, I, I literally call myself a um, uh, a brain for hire, a uh, personality. And most of what I do is flying around the country just sharing uh, really bad dad jokes and some uh, unique neurodiverse insights into the world in which we live. So a lot of times that puts me in front of people as a comedian. Sometimes it puts me in front of them as a specialist keynote speaker. Um, but my entire world now is presenting and sharing and encouraging people to uh, think in as many different ways as I can uh, so that they can come up with their own conclusions. So it's not just you going around yeah. and being funny. Oh, it's actually, there's a process to actually help people think differently. Totally, totally. Yeah. So um, a lot of times we'll, uh, like, for example, we'll see in the media people that go, oh, that joke was inappropriate or that joke was wrong. So I will um, deliberately craft things uh, where where possible. Sometimes I don't, but sometimes I, I it's appropriate and I can. When we look at the mechanics of humour, we go, okay, well, we laughed at that. And we laughed at that because we knew it was wrong uh, or we knew that we know that there is a inequality there, mm. which this joke is dancing around. Hence, we find that funny, but we internally think about that and go away or the percentage of the population that self-assesses will go away and go, why did I find that funny? Oh, even though outwardly my value, I say, that this is wrong, I still found that funny. And I still laughed at that because I know that that inequality still exists or that problem still exists. And as I take the line from Lord of the Rings, if we don't laugh about things or we don't talk about things or we don't have those conversations effortlessly in our world, that which should not be forgotten becomes forgotten. Mm. 
uh, Ricky Gervais is probably one of those, you know, very well-known comedians that grasps the the ins and outs of humour and why things are funny, and I think walks that a fine line. And so, do you find that in in your comedy? How do you craft jokes that that kind of work well and help people think without kind of putting people offside? I'm sure you would get yeah. some opposition in that. Yeah, yeah, I get a lot of opposition, opposition, but um, not not too much. Um, and I, I I think part of that is being able to read the crowd and to articulate accurately who your target audience is. So. Um, that's that's a, a I think that's a a, a larger thing. And, and look I think it's like anything in life you walk into a big organization you walk into a school or you walk into a family reunion or anything there is a inherent culture there mm, mm. whether we have consciously acknowledged that culture or consciously created it or not there is a culture and by being aware of the culture that you are in helps you to work out where that line is. And the whole concept of education, not that I'm saying that I go out and preach to the world, um, but the concept of education is to move from the known to the unknown. So if I don't know where the known world ends for you and I tell a joke that's, you know, 10 or 15 steps past that, you're going to get upset because yeah. there's, no, there's no link just a random piece of information but if i can ascertain courtesy of the culture within our, uh, that that you are within in the uh you know where you're at and by reading cues i'll have a i'll be able to guesstimate sort of where i think you're at to limit my own risk uh to give you a joke that connects to what you know and what you've experienced within your world so that you can, number one, find my jokes funny and not offensive, uh, and also participate with the rest of the crowd to have that communal experience with comedy. What are those cues that you pick up on? Um, it will be uh, overhearing conversations, doing my half-assed lip reading. Uh, it will be looking at what the drink specials are in the venue and what sort of meals they serve, price point, Socioeconomic stuff is very, very important because um, uh, money affords us different experiences mm. in the world, and it also shapes the negative experiences that we have as well. So, uh, for example, if I'm in a more affluent area, uh, they, they won't understand that you don't have a cracked phone screen, mm. you know? And if you crack your phone, you get a new one, you know, whereas if I'm in a lower socioeconomic area, I'll go, wow, you got to wait two years to your contracts <laughs> up for that. Yeah. You know, dif difference, different sense of humor and different awareness of, you know, what's happening. Um, and I think that's, that's something that's important to know so that we can be consciously kind and include people in the conversations that we're having, be it comedy or be it about, you know, work or educating them about whatever. What we're trying, I think what we strive to do with communication is move from where you are now to the next step, the next yep. step, next step, the next step to open eyes, increase empathy and awareness and understanding of the world in which we live. 
Yeah, there's so much more depth to what it is that you are doing rather than just going, oh, I'm a comedian and traveling around the country. Like there's there's a huge <laughs> purpose behind that, yeah? Um, yeah, I think, um, I don't think I actually set out and went, oh, I'm going to go change the world by telling fart jokes. Uh, I think that uh, there is there's an element of frivolity and fun, and I think that's important to have. But um, every every comedian's got their own thing and has their own style and kind of, you know, has um develops a uh persona or character as such that enables them to uh sell the message or or promote or talk about the message and and content that they want to talk about yeah so uh and for me that just happens to be how my head work oh how my head works is just you know i would like to you know i want to talk about religion i want to talk about politics I want to talk about, you know, the uh, things that spin doctors are, you know, telling us to not think about or, you know, some of the other issues that are creeping in unchecked. And I'm not to, not to say that I'm right and not to say that, you know, it's a giant conspiracy theory because it's not. It's everything's out in the open. Mm. It's about how can we consciously create a positive and inclusive culture to move ourselves and our community forward in a healthy and positive, sustainable way. Mm. What has been your journey to get to this point? How do you end up here? I think part of it is just, um, I think as a uh, as a straight white guy growing up in a middle-class family uh, in Queensland, I think that there's, uh, I realised when I travelled around, when I, uh, sort of moved out that there was a fair bit of unlearning that I had to do. Mm. Being uh, being autistic, um, it was uh, I always I, I wasn't the same. I didn't think the same way as everyone else. I had different needs to everyone else, and I still do, um, which caused me to self reflect a lot more than I probably would have if I didn't have autism or didn't struggle to fit in, mm. didn't have communication and social issues, but. When I looked at it, I went, um, I don't like it when I'm excluded. I don't like it when, uh, when, when people are unkind. I don't like it when all of those things happen to me. Mm. And some of the things that were societal norms, I've gone, well, you know, this is except, uh, you know, X, Y, Z is accepted behavior from a straight white male. Well, this is what we deem to be powerful and in uh, and what a boss should do or what you know all of these labels that we have and i uh, i i sort of when i thought about it i was going well that's not that's not right that's not helpful how can you know loud arrogant and unfeeling be something that we want to give money to and encourage why well that's not that's not sustainable or helpful you know, and then started to, because I'm logic-driven yep. and data-driven, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, la- lazy, uh, what was the thing back then? It was like uh, the la- lazy doll bludgers. You know, we shouldn't have, you know, shouldn't have, nothing should be free. Socialist, oh, isn't it terrible? And I'm going, oh, hang on, I really like my library. Yeah. You know, I like being able to go and borrow books. And I actually, when you look at it, particularly with healthcare mm-hmm. and everything else, we see that things like universal basic income actually is cheaper than all of these welfare systems and cost of compliance and 
and, you know, getting people involved in a society to be productive. So, you know, I, and then I kind of worked out that some people just hate people they don't know. And that's how they're trained. That's the culture that they were brought up in. And, you know, that's, that's something that I, 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 uh, struggle with daily that you can, uh, be in this arrogant little bubble and just instantly hate anything that is not you and then you know try and dress that up so it doesn't look like you're a shit person you know and then you know that's the that that was the point that i came to and i went oh well you know maybe i can do some work on me and you know by extension talk about some of these things because it's almost like these unwritten rules and unwritten laws that we all know and understand, but we don't talk about. And uh, that's, you know, kind of where it all came from. And uh, this is not me also standing on a pedestal going, I'm the kindest person in the world and I'm awesome. This is me going, I'm a work in progress and I try really hard to not just be kind and think of other people, but also have uh I try where possible to engineer my life to have capacity to be kind to other people. Cause I think that's, that's a really interesting journey that I sort of went on was going, okay, kind, okay, I know what kind is, I understand what that is. Uh, but then sometimes your life gets so busy and you just don't, just don't have the brain space capacity or energy to be nice to someone. You just go, well, just do it or go away or I'm just going to whatever. And it's after that that you go, okay, well, um, I inherently want to be a kind person. Why was I unkind in this situation or what problem happened and how can I make that easier for me and also for other people that are around me? And part of that realisation internally for me was going, well, okay, well, let's try and build capacity for kindness to go, okay, well, you know, that little thing doesn't matter and I can be kind and I can not make a big deal out of things that ought not to be made a big deal out of. And I think that's got really great ripple effects and I try to do that and I fail sometimes, but the goal is to be the best you can be every day. You talked about having that moment or that that time where you said, well, if I can focus on on working on me, um, then that's going to be that starting point. What did that look like, working on yourself? What did that look like to start with? Uh, part of it was actually wrangling my my brain because with a neurodiverse brain, it behaves differently. So you read all these books, uh, as I did, and they have neurologically typical answers to a lot of these, these issues and problems in life. And they simply don't work because the mechanics behind just are very different. So my energy usage is different how... Um, how I, you know, fall asleep each night is, is different. How I, um, you know, misread a lot of social situations is really different. How I navigate interpersonal relationships is different. Uh, and then, uh, sometimes if I get lost, I'll be mimicking and that's just flying blind because I don't no idea. So all, all of this was born out of an awareness of trying to understand the social construct of the world in which I live and sustainably what that looks like uh, and how to translate that into something that my brain can understand. When we look at uh, autism and a lot of autistic programs that are out there to help autistic kids, 
Uh, a lot of them, a lot of them are about how do I make an autistic kid or an autistic human look normal and be normal, mm. which is how do I just force them into uh, like square peg into a round hole? Yeah. Whereas what I was trying to create for me was how can I look at me from the inside and build it that way rather than just doing, you know, fitting in for the sake of everyone else. That doesn't help me. That, you know, depletes my energy. I run out of spoons. Mm. Um, but I find that uh, it was a longer road. It was a lot harder. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of, I have a, very, a little bit of a different life now and a lot of it is uh, more privileged than most. But I've, I've built that from uh, nothing. I don't have uh, intergenerational wealth. Um, I don't have uh, anything like that. Uh, and I have courtesy of, you know, my autism and my limited social networks. I don't have a massive social network to lean on. So, you know, I try and create the best world that I can for me that is as sustainable as I can be for me. Yep. I think that's amazing. Um, and I'm like, I would love to kind of delve into a little bit about your autism, if if that's okay. Go for it. At what you know, at what age did that become a reality for you? Were you officially kind of diagnosed? So this is a really annoying thing that I've found with healthcare. And as I, again, calling out my privilege as a white male, mm. if I've had these issues, I can only imagine how a, you know, a First Nations person or how yeah. a woman or how anyone else uh, would be, would navigate this. So, that's normally my baseline. If I'm having problems with it, there must be a lot of other people that are having it so much worse. So I find in a lot of cases, particularly with how we remunerate doctors, uh, which I'm not whinging at, uh, I think they're, they're they're wonderful. But in order for a, a doctor to earn X amount of dollars in a day to support their lifestyle, it's uh, we're, we've all done it. You go in for your 10-minute consultation. How, how much... How much in-depth and detailed care can you get in 10 minutes? Yeah, you, know, you pretty, can't. Pretty quick. Pretty quick. So yeah. um, I've my, my, my stage at the moment is um, a lot of doctors, courtesy of the time stresses, will go, I found an answer and I'm going to stop looking now. Yeah. Until you come back and tell me that that answer didn't fit for you. Yeah. And then I'll find another answer and then good luck as opposed to spending the time and going, look, this is an answer. Does it fit? No, maybe there's something that's better or maybe it's this and something else. Mm. So uh, for me, I, they, we, I didn't have a name for what it was. I was reinventing the wheel from scratch until I was about, uh, what, 30, maybe 35. Wow. No, no, probably 30. I'd say. Yeah. Joy's being autistic and ADHD. It's a, um, uh, your relationship with time is a little bit different. Sure. So, yep. yeah. <laughs> live and die by my calendar. Die yep. more than live. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's that was a whole journey going, oh, my God, look, uh, that explains so much. And then everyone stopped looking. Yeah, okay. So I was on, uh, and, you know, still am, on, uh, you know, um, medications and plans and stuff to try and work with it. I've got search terms, which is really wonderful. But it's still not, I'm still experiencing things that weren't quite right. And then I, uh, I had uh, 
quite a few friends that have gone, oh, yeah, 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 you got ADHD as well. And I went, um, <laughs> no, autism. <laughs> yeah. Autism, not ADHD as well. And I went, mm-hmm. if you've got more than five, uh, more than five ADHD friends, I've got news for you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's the journey I'm going on at, what, 38, 39 or whatever I am. Now, after getting that is going, oh, my God, I'm just going to add this to the list as well. But um, the point of a diagnosis is to get to know yourself better. Mm. So for me, the diagnosis was about how can I get to know myself? How can I understand? And what are the tools that I can use having that uh, expert data-backed medical diagnosis that, yes, this is what you've got. So that's that's a really important thing and for the autism stuff that really helped me to feel better talking about capacity for kindness mm. uh for that that was the moment where i was learning about self-care and self-generosity so for me it was no you've done you know three days at a festival working 10, 12 hour days being on Mm. um, and traveling and, and, and your rest time is not a reward. It is essential. It is part of the process and being self-employed, I bill, I bill for my time. Yep. So I'll have a day rate or a package rate for, for an event or whatever. And I started going, oh, that's just a lost day that I can't bill for and I can't work and I can't book it and my head's not right that day and I've got to, mm. you know, do all this. And then when I got these diagnoses and went, right, so that's my process. That's mm. what works for me. And I'm just going to go, okay, well, every time I do a three-day festival, I'm going to call it four days or five yep. days. Yep. And that's the process for the entire thing. So it was about how do I sell it to myself? How do I make it work? And then I discovered, uh, which is totally crazy, everyone else actually really benefits from doing that same stuff. Go figure, right? Yeah. Yeah. And when normal people or the rest of the world do what they feel they need for their own systems, everyone has a greater capacity for kindness Mm when they show themselves that self-generosity and self-care, which means there's less othering, there's less big issues, and everyone's life becomes less stressful. Was there a sense of um, relief or a sense of freedom when you kind of had that first initial diagnosis as well? You went, okay, well, now now I can work with this. Well, most autistic people end up self-diagnosing long before they get... um, uh, a confirmation of that diagnosis. And I, I was one of those people. I didn't say anything because I, yep. I don't want to say anything until I'm actually diagnosed for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and uh, it was like Einstein had this line. He said, great people know their greatness long before anyone else. Yeah. You know, and autistic people know they're autistic long before anyone else does. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it was... Uh, it was mixed. It was a, yes, it's got a name. It's not just me. I've been fighting with my brain to do all of these other things. And I go, look, now it's, it's okay. I get it. But then uh, like the recent journey that I had with um, the ADHD stuff was me going, 
that was a very sad moment for me in going, oh, it's another thing. It's a, just a, a just added, I don't know if I have capacity or energy to manage this thing as well, even mm. though I have to live with it whether I like it or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's there, yeah. You know, and you just go, oh, geez. But that passes and you just suck it up and get on with it, mm. you know, and that's, uh, and it all comes down to engineering systems that work for you. And part of what I talk about with keynote presentations, when I'm not being funny, is uh, going into large organisations where, because I, I, I tick a couple of boxes for their diversity. I, I'm a safe, uh, I'm a, a, a board-friendly, safe way to yep. tick some diversity boxes without sure. challenging anyone too much because <laughs> I'm male and white. Yeah. <laughs> so part of that is me going in there and going, well, you know, this is what neurodiverse people need, us special people. And then at the end of it, the journey that I lead them on is, well, I'd really like that for me as well. Okay, well, if you'd like it for you, why don't we all do it? And why don't we all create a happier, more cohesive work environment? so that we can all have this additional energy to focus on lives outside of work, to have, you know, reduced sick days, to have, um, you know, more meaningful time in the office and more meaningful relationships with everyone in our world, a greater capacity for kindness, less of those small, tiny things that irritate us and suck our energy. And, uh, yeah, that's the utopian world that I kind of end up at. Which is not that really far removed because there's, I mean, there's a movement that's been happening the last few years and probably for a long time in certain sectors where people go, oh, if we treat our staff well and we encourage them to you know, look after themselves and rest and, you know, when work is over, finish work and kind of give them the space to do that and not micromanage and all that kind of thing. If we do that, then they will be well, they will work well and they'll have less sick days and the world will be a better place. And so but, I feel but, like all of a sudden people are going, oh, oh that actually works. But how? Do, but but aren't you just stealing from me if you're working and I can't look at you? How do I know that you're yeah. working every right. second of the day? Gotcha. I want to get value out of you. Yeah. And I do that by whipping you harder. <laughs> yeah. And then but... when you die, I just move your. I have the next person that fills your job pick up your corpse and move it to the side. It's like the, the lack of trust for people, right? We forget that people are genuinely good regardless. Like, you know, we have some some rough traits for sure and we don't – not every day is awesome. But uh, generally people are good and they want to do a good job. And so if we give them the space to do that, then they will do it. But we forget that. Particularly if you have consciously engineered a positive culture mm. that takes away that fear factor. So a lot of times yeah. we do things because we have this fear of lack. So if, if you grew up in a um, uh, in a household where you didn't have much, there is that fear of lack, the, mm. the fear that there is not enough to go around. And um, unlocking that is a really challenging concept because that's a survival instinct. And when we look at toxic workplaces that go, that are examples of what we were joking about before, we see that the culture there based on top-down management is I'm not valued. It's everyone for themselves. So I'm going to throw everyone else under the bus and make little things, big things to make me look better. And I'm going to do, you know, A, B, C, D, and E. And then I'm going to, you know, 
hide post-it notes in drawer number three because no one's going to look there and then I'm going to have post-it notes when no one else does, <laughs> you know, or, you know, have that building resentment. And I think all of that sort of leads us down a path that we don't want to go down. To someone who didn't know what autism was or hadn't heard of it before, how would you define it for them? Um, I think it's uh, it's a challenging thing because a lot of people go, yeah, 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 autism. Yep, heard of that word. Sort of got a rough idea what it is. Oh, why why did you misread my, why can't you recognize me in a crowd? Or uh, your tone was off and I'm so offended by you now. Uh, or you were, uh, you made this social faux pas that no one should ever do. I'm highly offended. And it's really interesting because people do are familiar with the word, they hear it, but, you know, they don't really understand what that means. And part of it is... Uh, when you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Everyone's yes. different. It's a spectrum. Yeah. Uh, but commonalities across that spectrum are um, uh, social issues. So it could be misreading social events, misunderstanding or not recognising social cues, reading faces, getting um, very tired very quickly, having some good days and bad days. So and being delightfully, annoyingly inconsistent with all of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, there's there's a lot of really great definitions of videos and stuff that you can, that people can watch online. I've got a autism page on my website, yep. uh, which is bensorensen1.com forward slash autism. And there's a lot of really great conversations uh, that I've had with, um, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, counsellors, and a lot of different really really interesting people uh on podcasts not dissimilar to this one uh where we go into more depth talking about autism what it means what it looks like how it affects day-to-day life of people uh and also there's some uh autism resources that i put at the bottom of that page as well so you can click through and and learn and if anybody works in hr if anybody is a people leader uh, or wishes to even be just a community leader, mm. uh, I think having an awareness or understanding about uh, people or groups that are different to you is so valuable, mm. not just in making other people feel welcome, but also trying to break down that barrier of our knee-jerk reaction that different is bad. Mm. So, when I talk about aut- autism and autistic people, I go different, not less. Yep. You know, and some autistic people will articulate very, very well that they have different needs. Uh, it could be uh, you're having a serious conversation with me and I'm um, uh, fidgeting with a pen or clicking a pen. That helps me concentrate more or I'm drawing or writing. That, that helps some people concentrate on what you're saying or not making eye contact everyone's a little bit different and part of it is going okay well i need to do what's right for me and i have to trust that you are understanding this is important and you're going to do what you need to do to absorb whatever's happening Mm. and i think it teaches us to be uh, more forgiving with communication and i think for all of us that's a really really great spot to be in we've all been tired we've all been multitasking we've all misheard things or misunderstood or contextually put one and one together and got 73 yeah you know so the skill which is forcibly 
are encouraged when you have autism is to be very forgiving of communication. Well, it's one of the, the greatest acts of generosity that I will often talk about is that that whole idea of assuming the best. Like you might receive something from someone and it might be, oh, that's a bit weird or I'm a bit offended by that, but oh, they're probably having a bad day or it's the, they will focus on something else. So actually assuming there's positive intent, but there's probably something else going on for that person, which is totally hard work, but it's worth it, I think. And I think that comes down to those systemic uh, habits that society has taught us. And, you know, my uh, one of the great friends of autism is depression and anxiety. And you, you have that little voice in your head that goes, no, they really hate you. That's why they said there's no smiley face at the end of that email because they hate you mm. and they're going to plot your death in the next 20 minutes, yeah. you know, and then 25 minutes past, uh, you just go, so was the bus late or <laughs> <laughs> am I just waiting? Yeah. But I think that um, uh, it's really hard to undo some of those overthinking habits. And, you know, uh, I do that heaps with social interactions because I go, did I misread that? I know that I'm autistic and I'm not very good at that. So what are the other possibilities? Let me just run through every scenario that could possibly have happened when I ordered my coffee three yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that, so there must just be an exhaustion that comes with that. Just like you get to the end of yourself going, I'm just so tired of kind of thinking through this process. Yeah. Or well, the other thing is I totally forget. Yeah. It'll be a massive deal and then something else will happen and I'll forget. Yeah. Wow. So it is, it is absolutely a bit of a challenge. Yeah. So I will, uh, I'll take us through my, my generosity questions. Is there anything yeah. else you wanted to, to add before I jump into that? Now I've rambled plenty. That's been great. I, um, I, I do at some stage want to hear a bad dad joke. Um, so just keep that in, that in mind. No, no. Yeah. I, I can drop one now if you want. Go for it. Love that. Yep. All right. Here we go. Bad, bad dad joke. What, what do you get when you burn down Woolworths? I don't know. Coles. Right. Good. Yeah. Clever. Well done. That's good. So is that, is that yours or have you picked that up from somewhere? Do you know what? I, because I can't remember a lot of stuff. <laughs> That's yours. Uh, That's definitely no. yours, Ed. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's, a, I think there's a, there's a mix, there's a mix of all of them in there. I mean, there's some, some that I've written, and I, I actually had a, a case a little while back where I actually wrote something and put it out as a tweet, and then someone mm. sent me a screenshot of someone else that I'd never heard of before that had done that ten years earlier. Yeah. And we look at the concept of what are original ideas. Yes. And then when we take an original idea or what we think is an original idea and pop it into a new context. Uh, you know, I find that really, really great. And then you look at uh, when you understand the concept of a trope, every movie you watch is really boring. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, but no, look, uh, if you go to my um, in Instagram and my, um, my Twitter, there's a whole heap that I've just written it three o'clock in the morning and the sleeping pills don't work and just tap away you know why do uh yeah why can't uh why do rock melons get married because i can't elope <laughs> actually i think i saw that on your instagram the other day that was really funny yeah that's yeah good. so uh yeah that, i can confirm and remember that that is one that i did right <laughs> well done well done uh, 
So uh, we, we, I feel like we've touched on an element of it, but talking about how do you practice self-generosity and self-care, you talked about those rest days that you've now implanted as part of your process. Is there anything yeah. else? Uh, look, I still really, really suck at self-generosity and self-care. Very, very much so. Uh, and, you know, one of the things uh, having a an autistic brain and also, uh, you know, having a brain that is prone to depression and anxiety, mm. um, the most useful search term that I ever found is the concept or, or term self-soothing. Mm. Uh, so when we're talking about self-generosity and self-care, particularly in acute times, it's really handy if you'd have like a little toolkit of things that you can just whip out that change your downward spiral in your brain or interrupt those uh, negative neuropathways and help you to consciously create something better. So it could be go for a walk, you know, could be, you know, essential oils or incense sticks. It could be taking a bath. It could be, you know, having sex consensually. It mm. could be, you know, um, doing cross stitch or craft or watching your favorite movie or, you know, whatever. Um, and over time, the more you do those things, the, um, you know, your brain kind of prepares for that and goes, oh, about time I pick up a book now. And mm. suddenly that gets easier and easier and easier. It's the same as the process for meditating as well. But I think the big thing, and, you know, I after this conversation, I mean, I, I also need to reassess this, is having that time out and taking that time out and going that that is valuable. That is valuable reset time. Uh, to be kind to yourself, to go, I'm going to just chill out and go to sleep because I'm worth it. And a lot of it comes back to that valuing oneself. And, you know, that's something I struggle with and I think a lot of other people do as well. Yeah, I agree. I know I think one of the, the greatest challenges that I've come across and sort of seen in others as well, um, you know, when you're in that, that I guess, there's a moment of depression or a, a period of depression and anxiety, um, and you have a list of things you go, well, if I do these things, I know that they will help, but actually getting from where you are to starting to do those things, yep. that can be one of the, the greatest so, steps to take. The most disappointing fact that I've read ever in the history of the universe, motivation comes after you yes. start. Yes. And I'm <laughs> like, true. no, that doesn't help. No, who did that? That's stupid. <laughs> Accurate. Yes. data back there's a lot of research on that yeah. but you know it's very disappointing really isn't it yeah 100 <laughs> yeah uh that's that uh, the adhd joke uh or adhd challenge uh you have one hour to get out of bed meaning that even though all you have to do is get out of bed you're probably gonna wait until a minute like 75 <laughs> 80 to sort of go, well, I'll just lay in bed a bit longer and rearrange my day so that I can stay in bed longer. Sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> but you're right, motivation, really, really hard. And so how are you then generous with your love for people? I'm always curious about um, what love looks like to different people because it's this concept that we're like, oh, yeah, I know what love is. I love this person. But, like, it's it's so – it can be really ambiguous. And I also feel like we use uh, we use the term very loosely. Yes, and I think part of that uh, societally means that love doesn't always convey the meaning that I feel like it should. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, Rick and, Rick and Morty, 
uh, great philosophers of our time. Yes. Uh, have this scene where Rick goes, you know, love is a construct of your mind. It's just a chemical concoction that happens to encourage you to breed so that your species doesn't die or something like that. And, you know, you take that and you go, yeah, sure, dopamine, oxytocin, um, and, you know, all of the other things that are bouncing around in your head and, you know, the inherent need to be partnered, the social pressures and all of that. But it's, I think, I think love is a, a worthy and personal journey that we can all go on to uncover what does love mean for me. Mm. And we can read about it. The poetry books are full of them. Um, definitions of love. The psychology books are full of them. You know, uh, the definitions of love. And, you know, even if you look at, you know, nature documentaries, they're also full of love. And love means different things to different people in different ways in different contexts. Mm. But I think it all starts with... Um, how, what makes me feel centered? What makes me feel whole as a person? I think is an, an important question to ask as a precursor to love. Because a lot of times we label uh, codependence mm. as love or compliance as love. And I think that. Um, when we unpack all of that and we look at a whole person who has done that self-discovery journey, who is working on themselves, who has that um, joyous independence, uh, then has the ability to choose love, not out of a need or desperation or, you know, a lack or a hole in their life, but as a complement to a life that they have created and built for themselves. Now, again, uh, I don't profess to have any answers to anything under any circumstances at all. Um, this is not peer-reviewed research. <laughs> but anecdotally and conceptually, this is what's happening inside my head when people like yourself ask me, what's love? You know, even, and then when we, we question what love is, when we look at those really tough times where you go, I don't particularly like you very much because you're being a shit right now, mm. but I know that I still love you and I still want you to be okay and I still want the best for you even though we don't agree. So unpacking all of that, uh, love is something that is a really big question and I am grappling to get my head around it and I am still on a journey to understand exactly what that is in a deep philosophical sense. And then hopefully once I get some clarity around that, I'll be able to work out a better and more meaningful way to implement that into my life and into the world in which I live so that I can be a more, more whole individual that can contribute better. That's great. Thank you. Keep me posted on that. What, what does generosity with your finances look like? Oh, look, that's uh, when I, when I, um, that's a really great question. And um, look, for me, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of going, here's a thousand bucks. Good luck. Mm. There you go. Um, I'm more of a, um, let me just cover that for you. 
So I, I think when we when t- we talk about finances and money, a lot of people get caught up on money as being the thing that drives them nuts. Mm. Whereas I look at money as a tool to get or buy freedom or, you know, things that improve the quality of other people's lives or even my own life. Yep. So um, generosity with my finances might be, uh, don't worry, I'll get dinner, Mm. you know, or let me buy you a drink. Let's go out for coffee. Mm. You know, let's spend time with each other. And let me do it in a way that causes you the least amount of stress. Mm. The whole concept of um, being consciously aware of how one can be generous and using one's resources to be generous in a meaningful way, uh, I think has a lovely ripple effect. And I think that's very important at whatever stage you're at. Is there an area of your life then that you um, you wish you were more generous or you'd like to be more generous in? Yes. Uh, I would like to be uh, – I would l- like to not have an inherent fear of that I'll never work again mm. in entertainment or shows uh, because then I feel like I would be able to be more generous with my time to – you know, uh, you know, volunteer tree plant or to, you know, do some of those other things. You know, I'm also um, quite sad that I'm not wealthier than I am because I think there are a lot of really small problems that can make a really big difference in people's lives. And realistically, it's not that expensive to fix them. Yeah. It just takes someone who's not a dick, you know. So I... So the bit that I'm I'm quite sad about is when I see problems that are outside of my financial scope or ability that I know are still really cheap, good value, permanent fixes to things. And I just go, why would you just not, why would you not just do that or make that happen? So, uh, you know, that's something that I would like to do more of, particularly as I get older. Uh, And hopefully if I ever become more effluent, uh, affluent, affluent. Sorry, my yes. mistake. Yes. Um, then I, that's you know something that I would like to to do is to be more more generous to others uh, and be less isolated. I guess in that sense. Mm. So, is there anything that you are currently reading, something that you're listening to, which has been beneficial to you that you want to share? Um. Look, I enjoy I enjoy reading, and again, that's actually part of that self generosity thing as well, because mm. uh, that's not only you know learning more about the world in which you you live, but also uh, understanding different viewpoints, different stories, different experiences. It's really handy. Love reading. Reading's mm. so good. Uh, so I'm reading the. It's only a tiny book, uh, or have recently finished the Psychology of Money. Uh, which is a, a really interesting book talking about people's attitudes towards wealth uh, and breaking it down and talking about, you know, what, is, what does that mean? Why is Warren Buffett so successful? Let's crunch numbers in the stats, um, you know, and why do some people do really well with crypto and other people suck at it, you know, or... or um, stocks or property or businesses or whatever. And it's, it's actually a really, really interesting book. Oh, look, the other really, oh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Mm. Find it, uh, 
I took, uh, what, there was four or five, I bought four or five copies of the same book. And I realized that uh, the quality of the translation makes a massive difference to how you can enjoy translated books. Yep. So if you have a great text and you're reading it and it's not gelling with you, uh, find a find a different translation and see if that works. So it took me four or five goes to go, okay, I get it. I like it. Awesome book. Yep. Um, the other the other sneaky trick, which takes no money at all, which I love. <laughs> uh, there are some amazing texts to read uh, from the history of mankind uh, that are out of copyright because they are so old and yep. they are some really great stories. So the Gutenberg Project um, has digitized and made all of these great works as uh, PDFs, EPUBs, yep, all sorts of different files to make them accessible. Mm. So there's millions of books there for you to read and look at. And Ben, how can people get in contact with you? Look, it's really, really challenging. And uh, I, look, I feel bad saying this because most of our chat hasn't been funny at all. It's just been, <laughs> you know... <laughs> It's, it's been really interesting and I really enjoyed it. It's been insightful. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's certainly not a laugh a minute. Um, so it's bensorensen1.com. Yep. And all of my socials are bensorensen1 because some other bastard took Ben Sorensen. And what they didn't what they didn't see is I am number one. Yes. So they're Ben just, Sorensen1. They're just no number. They're just random. Random. Totally yeah. random. Ben, thank you so much for, for being part of the Generosity Podcast. I've really appreciated your willingness to share and be generous with your story. Um, that's a really precious gift that you've given us. So thank you so very much for that. Thank you for uh, creating a podcast like this so people can learn more about you know the different opportunities that are out there and the, the different concepts surrounding generosity. And I think when we have these big terms like love generosity and financial generosity uh i think it's really important for us not to just have a textbook definition of it or our anecdotal definition but to actually have exactly what you're doing is a range of conversations about it so that we can understand it more deeply and live it so thank you for creating this amazing space in which we can do that yeah you're welcome well, thanks for joining us for the Generosity Podcast. If you'd like to find out some more information, you can head to thegenerosityguy.com and we'll catch you next time. All right. I have taken up a lot of your time, so I apologize for that, Ben. We're kind of a bit over, so... Um, that is totally okay. Time has put yeah. a construct of our mind. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll still get a parking ticket. Yes, that's true. It'll still cost <laughs> you some money. <laughs>